Welcome to the Middle Church Podcast, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational movement of spirit and justice, powered by revolutionary love with room for everyone. No matter where you are, how you look, or who you love, we pray this podcast will help you on your journey. Here's this week's worship celebration. family. I'm so glad you're here. For how many of you is this your first time at church? Yay! Welcome. We're super glad you're here. We hope that you'll come back. Um, We hope that you know that this is a home space for you. So welcome. Um, I'm Jackie Lewis. My name is Jackie. I'm the senior minister. Pronouns are she, her, hers. And if you're online for the first time, we're glad to have you as well. Speaking of online, today when we pass the peace, dun, 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 we're doing something new. You see this microphone? You see this green microphone? This microphone is going to be here for you so that if you want to say hi to the people online, you will come to said microphone and say, peace be with you. Will you help me with that? Oh, I know, right? It's so sweet, right? Okay. So we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. We've got got great music planned for you. Today, immediately following worship, I mean immediately following worship as a congregational meeting, we'd love for you to just benedict and sit down so you can find out about all the things that are happening in the life of the church, celebrating last year's impact and giving you a sense of what's going on with the building. How many of you are staying? Feel the pressure. Good, excellent. The brunch will still be there (laughs) when the meeting ends. Uh, I I think I'm so funny so when someone else does, it just makes me so happy. Okay. There is a kids event happening today after worship, so drop your kiddos off downstairs to be with Miss Elise, who's in the balcony ready to kidnap them for you uh, for some after worship fun and games. Also after after worship, Matt Sullivan's art fundraiser for Middle Church is happening. (laughs) Beautiful art, beautiful music, and help with the campaign. Matt, thank you for that. What a sweetheart you are. So the detail for that is in the bulletin, or you can follow Matt down to the studio, right? Um, And I think there's much more to share, but let's have you take a look at the bulletin and know what that is. Um, Let's take a deep breath. Oh. Uh. Una cosa más. One more thing. COVID is popping. COVID is popping. A lot of my friends have gotten sick for the second, third time. So I'm wearing my mask, not because I don't love you, but because I do love you. The staff is still taking tests every Sunday. I want you to know that before we take our masks off. Worship participants are doing the same. That's our way of keeping you safe. If you can hug gently, stand back, spread out as you greet each other up close, I think that helps as well. And I also want you to promise me, if you don't feel well, don't tell yourself it's allergies, take a test. And then come to church. Okay, and with that, 
What a beautiful day it is that God has made for us to rejoice and be glad in. Let's sing our opening hymn together. Thank you, choir. Good morning, Middle. Happy Sunday and happy Hispanic Heritage Month. My name is Katrina. My pronouns are she, her, and ella. I'm proud to say that I'm a New Yorker, 
Puerto Rican, and Dominican. I wanted to tell you the story of my necklace today as we honor our heritage. I wanted to tell you the story of the island of Puerto Rico as I understood it a few years ago. In 2017, I got to go to Puerto Rico with some of my family, including my mother and my niece. While we were there, I got to visit the shop of my oldest friend, Belissa. She and I have been friends since we were two years old in preschool on the Lower East Side in New York City. She runs a shop that focuses on local artists and artisans. And while I was there, I saw this necklace and I wondered about it. And I asked, tell me more. This necklace is beautiful. It's round, it's smooth. There were several others, but none of them were the same, even though they were similar. She told me that an artist had gone to a lumber yard in Puerto Rico and seen all of the scraps of wood on the floor and thought, what could I make with this? How can I reclaim what seems like someone else's trash or garbage and turn it into something special? And so she took those scraps and she turned them into jewelry. And I thought a piece of nature of this place, an understanding that what might be someone else's thing to throw away is really just a treasure waiting to be discovered. And so I bought the necklace and I wear the necklace all the time because it reminds me that I come from a place of trees and of people and of creativity and of friendship. A few weeks after I bought this necklace, Hurricane Maria devastated the island of Puerto Rico. So many trees were lost, so many homes. And I held on to this necklace because it continued to remind me that our people would persevere. Our people would grow again, just like the trees. And so I wear this necklace almost every day because it helps me hold on to that to that understanding that we are strong, we are resilient, we are creative, and we are flourishing. So, as we step into this Sunday and into the next few weeks of Hispanic Heritage Month, my challenge is to each of you, find a friend. They may be your friend for life. Hold on to a piece of nature. Remember that where it grows, you grow too. And remember to always, always share amor, caridad, y amistad. Have a great day, everyone.
and the words to the prayer uh, are in English in the bulletin so that you can follow along with the beautiful singing.
Hello, middle. Would you join me in the prayer that Jesus taught us? I'll be saying it in Spanish, but please feel free to use whatever words and language are nearest to your heart. Let us pray. Padre nuestro, que está en el cielo, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga a nosotros tu reino. Hágase tu voluntad en la tierra como en el cielo. Danos hoy nuestro pan de cada día. Perdona nuestros deudas como perdonamos nuestros deudaderos. No nos dejes caer en la tentación y líbranos del mal, porque tuyo es el reino, el poder y la gloria por los siglos de los siglos. Amén. Peace be with you, middle. Whether this morning finds you at East End Temple or, like me, part of the beautiful middle diaspora around the globe, may you know how deeply you are loved, that you are never, ever alone, and that you were created to birth God's peace in this world. So share a sign of peace with one another. Peace be with you online people! Peace be with you online people! Peace be with you. Good morning, all. May love and peace be with you. Peace, middle family. Peace be with you, middle family. Thank you. 
That was amazing. It occurred to me last Sunday that I didn't thank you for your prayers, for holding me in the light um, as we mourned my dad. Thank you so much. Say a prayer with me. Eternal God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so as we celebrate our beautiful Hispanic family and turn our faces to you today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On the morning of Sunday, September 15th, in 1963, a white man was seen placing a box under the steps of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. It wasn't the first bomb. That's why it had become Bombingham, Alabama. Shortly afterwards, the explosives inside detonated, devastating the church building and the 400 congregants inside. They heard the blast all over the city. The parents rushed to the Sunday school classroom to check on their children and soon discovered four young girls had been killed in the blast. Denise McNair was 11, Addie Mae Collins 14, Carol Robertson 14, and Cynthia Wesley also 14. More than 20 others were injured, including Sarah Collins, who was 12 years old at the time. She was found standing, staring at the broken bodies, calling for her sister, Addie, Addie. But there was no answer. In 1963, the 16th Street Baptist Church was the largest black church in Birmingham and served as a meeting place for civil rights activities as demonstrations to desegregate public spaces and secure voting rights became more frequent and visible, meeting places like the church became targets for white segregationists looking to terrorize black activists and their supporters. P.S., by the way, they wouldn't know what to do with our little multicultural <laughs> behinds, right? Was, what is that, right? <laughs> they would not know. Anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> Immediately after the bombing, violence surged through the city as police clashed with enraged members of the black community. Before the day ended, at least two more African-American children had been killed. 16-year-old Johnny Robinson was shot by police as he fled down an alley. And 13-year-old Virgil Ware was shot and killed by white youths while riding his bicycle. The KKK did this. Bombed the church, killed the kids. The Klan did this, taught the hatred in the name of Jesus. 
The Ku Klux Klan is the oldest hate group in the US. And by their hoods and by their robes, they signaled their connection to the Protestant church. Artifacts that embodied the racist ideology of the Klan, along with their particular brand of Protestantism and nationalism. Robes, there was a reason they wore robes. Fiery crosses, there was a reason they lit the cross. They thought they were embodying the gospel of somebody's Jesus, not mine, in a vision of white Protestant America, and it became tangible and it had a reach, and it changed the nation, and it went underground, and it's back. The virus that is white supremacist ideology. When I say whiteness, you know I don't mean white people. I'm just saying, I'm married to a really nice white man. If I could clone him, I'd be rich. My queer friends want John, my straight women want John. I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about an ideology, a worldview, an ethic, a theology of white supremacy that has been curated in the Protestant church of which we are a part. You understand what I'm saying? So let's talk about what Paul of Tarsus has to say about that. This is from Romans chapter 14. Writing to a church trying to figure out its theology and ethics. Remember, we're in a series, reframing and reclaiming Christian. What does it mean to be Christian? Paul is saying, you're going to love this. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them. Every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong in opinions, but weak in the faith department. This is a message version. Can't get plainer. Remember that they have their own history to deal with, so treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume she should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other one ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. And there are good reasons either way, so each person is free to follow the convictions of their conscience. What's important in all of this is that if you keep a day holy, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat to the glory of God and thank God for the prime rib. 
That's what it says in the Bible, right here. <laughs> I could have written it, but I didn't. That's right there in the message. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for the broccoli. <laughs> None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we're answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death. And ready for this, free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. Petty tyrannies. I don't want my children sitting next to Negroes in the classroom. Petty tyrannies. I don't want to live next to Hispanic people in my neighborhood. Petty tyrannies? My economy doesn't work unless the black people keep working for no pay. Petty tyrannies. I like my women barefoot and pregnant and getting paid 75 cents on the dollar. Petty tyrannies. How can we keep, why are they forcing Spanish on us? Make those people learn English. Petty tyrannies. I don't believe in abortion. Therefore, I'm going to create a 70-year strategy and wait patiently for the opportunity to elect A lying, cheating, orange makeup wearing, <laughs> genital grabbing, rapist to the presidency so I can get my judges appointed and make sure you don't have freedom over your body. Petty, petty tyrannies in the name of somebody's Jesus, not mine. Back to Paul. Where does that leave you when you criticize a brother or sister? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a brother or sister? I say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment, facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I, I mean God, not me, I and only I am God. So mind your business. <laughs> what the Bible says <laughs> in, the, in the message version. <laughs> so mind your business. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about. 
that you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. Getting in the way of someone else. Putting razor-wired barricades in the Rio Grande River to make sure immigrants can't get through. Getting in the way of someone else. Enacting policies that keep poor people poor and keep rich people rich. Getting in the way of someone else. Creating systems of governance. I'm sorry, what is the Electoral College? <laughs> Come on, voters reform group except a vestige of white land-owning power deciding how the government should work. Getting in the way of someone else. Passing laws that demand that babies who are impregnated, impregnated by people who abuse them have to have the babies. And at the same time, deciding that rifles are more important than children in classrooms. Making life more difficult than someone else. Back to Paul. I'm convinced, Paul says, Jesus convinced me that everything as it is, is in itself holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. Everything, everyone, is holy. And the way we talk about it or treat it, them, we can contaminate it. Do you with me, my friends? If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, where they live, don't live, who they love, don't love, where they sleep, don't sleep, how they name God, don't name God, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. God's kingdom is not a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as God sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve God. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above and proving your worth to the people around you. I don't know what happened to church, but it happened a long time ago. That church became a tool of the state to manage the populace, to keep people hemmed in, shut down, put out, feeling worthless and hopeless and dependent on systems and structures that are not meant for life, but are meant to inhibit life, to constrain life, to restrict life, to snuff out life. I don't know what happened to church, but it happened a long time ago. As soon as Constantine decided to make 
Christianity, the state, religion, all hell broke loose in the church. And I'm calling us, middle family, to reclaim and reframe Christian, to get back to love, to get back to love, to get back to only love. Only love. Love does not require a set of creeds to be said for you to be saved. Love does not require the moving of beads on a chain for you to be saved. Love does not require you to get on your knees and beg to be loved by the God who already loves you to be saved. God doesn't require us to take our own personal ethics and impose them on somebody else and make a whole religion about putting out whoever does not think like I think, feel like I feel, believe like I believe. How dare we, the church, imagine that our God is not big enough, broad-minded enough, expansive enough for all of God's people to get into the kingdom of God, just like they are. I'm proud that atheists call Middle Church home. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I'm proud that some of the best atheists I know are the most loving people I've ever met in my life. Come through, atheists. I'm glad for somebody like Gary Vizioli, who asked 15 years ago if he joined the church, did he have to give up his Catholicism? and then who joined the church and raised his boys in this church and participates in this church with his wife, Natalie, and he's Catholic all day still, and twice on Wednesday. Who cares? <laughs> Our job, middle family, is the most important job of all, which is to love the hell out of a nation that has decided it's more important to hate, womb, maim, deride, castigate, categorize, shun, shame, beat up, kill, whip anybody who is not normative, which is white and straight and male and rich. I thank God every day for all the ways we look in this place. For our beautiful queerness, for our brownness, for our big boneness and skinniness, for our straightness and transness. I thank God every day for the diversity, the rainbow that is our community, that teaches me, stretches me, pushes me, pulls me to love more radically than I ever imagined possible. And this, my friends, is the gift you've given me and the one we're required to give the world. God knows there's a lot of pain and heartache and heartbreak. And the only antidote to the pain and the heartache and the heartbreak is love. And isn't that what we're called to do? To follow in the way of Jesus is to love the outsider. To follow in the way of Jesus is to feed the hungry. To follow in the way of Jesus is to 
offer care for the brokenhearted, to pull the outsiders in, to make the first last, to love like Jesus loves, is to mind your business. And our business is only love. There are no rules here at Middle Church, people online, except that we love. There's no vow to take Middle Church, except that we love. There's no theological construct, Middle Church, except that we love. And the only ethic that's going to guide our life is that we love, period because everything else is commentary and is sometimes screwed up. <laughs> so, back to Paul. Cultivate your own relationship with God. But don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. Our behavior is love. Our belief is love. That's all. <laughs> Amen. My pronouns are she, her, and I am here from Colorado Springs, Colorado. I've been a member since I think May or June of 2020. And I first heard Jackie speak at the Hall of Philosophy at Chautauqua Institution in Western New York in the summer of 2017. That was the summer that Tom and I married. <clears throat> I signed up to receive emails after Jackie's talk, and that was as far as I got in 2017. I moved to Florida where Tom had retired. Then fast forward to 2020, my amazingly active husband of 79, soon to be 80, suffered a series of medical issues beginning mid-February of 2020, and then the COVID-19 shutdown hit. Then my husband had a second hospitalization. I couldn't visit him due to the shutdown. I became involved in middle, joining Harold Slazer's writing group and his online acting group and the voter reform group, also known as the voter reform gladiators. <laughs> My husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's in October of 2021 and remained fairly functional until October of 2022. This was a huge turning point in his ability to get around in the world. 
even though I couldn't be as involved in the writing class and, the, um, and VRG, the acting group had gone in person by this time, I felt the love and support of the members of these two groups. It would have been easy to use the sudden death of my husband this past June to stop participating, because I'm an introvert by nature. <laughs> Instead, I made myself attend the VRG group the Sunday after Tom died. So much love and support. I attended the writing class the following Thursday, which I hadn't attended in weeks. Participating in these groups have been my lifeline, and middle staff reached out to me too, all the way to Colorado Springs. I am glad I can finally be here in person to meet so many people I have only met or seen on Zoom. Some of you look really different from what I thought you would look like. <laughs> While I can't be involved in all the ways I would like to be involved right now, you can bet that after I defend my dissertation next summer, I'll be getting more involved. And you can be involved in middle as much or as little as you like. For example, in 2020, I probably wrote close to 1,000 postcards to encourage people to get out the vote. In 2022, I don't think I wrote any because I had so much going on with taking care of Tom. Early in 2023, I wrote 20 letters for one of our initiatives. And it's the same with your financial support. You can give as much or as little as you are able and you have the opportunity to get involved this Sunday, I might add, uh, we need to write about 700 more postcards to voters in Virginia. <laughs> so there's gonna be some postcards available, take 10, take 100, chat with somebody after the congregational meeting. One of the things that attracted me to Middle is that we are accepted and loved even if we don't believe in God. <laughs> I can be a humanist and still have a place at Middle. I can bring all of who I am to middle, and that's the key. I have to come, to bring, to show up. Sometimes that's hard for me because I'm really good at being a hermit. So I encourage you to take the risk to join the movement, to receive and give revolutionary love. Go to the website and sign up for the new members class and find out how you can be a part of this incredible supportive group and also set up monthly giving or make a bequest upon your death to make a difference, to bring awareness to social, racial, economic, gender, environmental, and all the other kinds of injustice in our world. Thank you. Look at God.
mind, we pray, for these gifts that they be used to meet the needs of this congregation and beyond. May it be so. Amen. Amen. And if you'll remain standing and join us in our closing hymn, Si Tu Puedes Cantalo. Hello, balcony. Hello, onliners. Yes, you're looking good up there. Oh, my, my. second verse as it comes to us when your heart heart is heavy may you
Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you, choir. Thank you, band. Thank you, John. We're going to Benedict and sit. I'm going to do this meeting and tell you some amazing things. The most amazing accomplishment that I want to highlight is just simply you being you. Just being you, a place where everyone's welcome just as they are, however they come through the door. Being a place that enjoys the diversity, that celebrates the otherness of the other and finds the otherness in yourself. A place of radical welcome and love and justice. I'm so glad to be your pastor. And you know, the Klan made a brand of Christianity that is still wreaking havoc on the world, right? But there's also this. There's just also this. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So, <laughs> so the staff and I, the consistory and I, just thank you for you. Um, and hear this blessing. Inside you is your own theological reflection, your own ethical understanding of God as love. That's enough. That's a lot. That's ac actually everything. So be that. Be light. Be love. Be grace in the world. Amen. Amen. If you want to know what's happening, have a seat. It's not going to be that long. Half hour-ish. Come on. Just sit, sit if you can, because uh, it's just going to be cool. Right, Devin? Can you see the walls? Can you see the walls? OK, we're going to look at the walls. Thank you, guys. Can you see the walls? OK. Thank you, baby. I want to I introduce you. If you're leaving, just go quietly. Quiet. If you want to come down, balcony, if it's easier, come on down. I want to introduce to you, uh, let me tell you what we're going to do, and then we'll do it, and then you'll know we did it. We have a, an annual report that we're going to walk you through, and then leave some space for question and answers, OK? First of all, can everybody that's consistent in the room stand up and face the camera so people can see you? If you're consistent in the room, stand up and face the camera. There's Ivan, <laughs> OK? And if your staff in the room, stand up and face the camera so they can see you. All right. Yeah, your staff. I want to introduce to you our chair, Vicki Burns, who's going to come and right. This mic for Vicki. Whatever you want to do. Wow. Here we are again after a long, long summer. And I hope that your summer brought you some joy. I want you to know that my summer meant I was working for middle. <laughs> um, I, I was just so inspired by, by Jackie's sermon and, and just processing it um, through what we um, are going through and will continue to go through in our goal of um, 
to have a place, a physical space that is our home. And I want to tell you that this process that has involved so many people, engineers and architects and just like so many people, it, it's head spinning. Um, it occurred to me that in the process of reclaiming our physical space, we've had to constantly reframe every aspect of that goal. Um, and, and what I've learned is that's just what it is. That is what it takes. Um, I'm gonna take you briefly back to the beginning to bring you forward to this moment and beyond um, because we are, as we stand today, on the cusp of realizing our rebuild dream. We're right there. And don't worry, this is gonna be summary fashion. I'm gonna just do some phrases. First there was the fire, then the grief and disbelief then the resolve to overcome and persevere, the support of our congregation, of our membership, of our community, supporters near and far on a national and global scale, the decision to stay or leave this home in Manhattan on the Lower East Side, then the, once that decision was made, because we're staying, <laughs> um, the assembling of expertise and building a strategy to raise the funds, make the plan, fight the battles with landmarks, preservation, and the craziness of construction in Manhattan. As Jackie says, the fire has forged us. Middle is rising, becoming something both new and familiar, something better, something stronger, a spiritual and cultural haven for humanity. So that's the summary. Um, do you want me to go into some of the details? So the decision to rebuild, um, as I said, it's been, um, um, we've had to, to, to reframe it constantly. And um, you know, our vision is to replace the sanctuary on Second Street um, uh, with, something that is for the 21st century, a partnership that allows us both a spiritual home, but also an opportunity to have a physical space where we can give back with the right partner, whether it's supportive housing, whether it's something education adjacent, and those plans are still very much in, in, in play. Um, but we realized that um, we had this property on 7th Street, our programming space, and as we've, you know, appreciated the generosity of, of Easton and others while we don't have a place to host us, we realized that our mission would be better served if we could get back into our own space. And so we made the decision to refurbish, initially to refurbish the 7th Street building. Um, and originally, you remember the old social hall, the place where we used to gather? We thought, oh, we'll just mothball that and close it off and just you know, um, you know, we've got this five-story building and, and we'll do everything that we need to do on an interim basis there. But the problem was that two-story sanctuary, two-story social hall was attached to the sanctuary. And in all the ways the city complicates things, we had to attach it to 7th Street. And so once that decision was made, it didn't make any sense to mothball it because we would have had to have done a lot, put a lot of investment into making it secure and fire safe. We thought, okay, um, listen to the universe. The universe is telling us that, that our aspiration for this refurbishment can be better and can be bigger. And, um, and so that's the path that we've pursued to 
Um, in a period of time, then let me say something about time, everything associated with making this plan and executing it, all notions of timetable get challenged over and over and over again. Um, but I'll just give you a little uh, update on, on where it stands at this point. Um, sorry, I lost my, my, my notes. Um, so we're expanding, renovating, refurbishing 7th Street. Cellar, first and second floor, the old social hall will become our new interim sanctuary. Also on the second floor, remember if you had any conferences in Jackie's old office, that will, um, that's pretty much untouched and it will be um, also used as a podcast studio because that's how we get our message out in the world. And there's some space um, that will be for staff, a kind of a WeWork style space. And those offices along the side on the second level, no more offices, that will we will increase our, our, our space for people who worship or attend any of our programs in, in person by having stadium si style seating with sight lines to the first level um, of, the, of the social hall new interim sanctuary. Sorry, we're gonna eventually have some pictures to show you and I'm, gonna, I'm doing my best to kind of describe what it's, what it's like. Um, in terms of expertise, um, you know, anybody who uh, has the job of making this worship go out into the world and streaming, the, the complication of who's speaking and where's the camera and the singing and all of that. Um, we have a company that has worked with us on designing an AV, audiovisual uh, plan and strategy that will um, open up the world for us on the very small footprint of that building. Every floor will be connected and we will be able to do programming that is not just Sundays and holidays, but also um, our Freedom Rising Conference that um, for the last several years we had to do online or we were borrowing space at um, our sister uh, church up in West End. We'll be able to do that from 7th Street by strategically um, outfitting the building in a way that, that makes sense. Um, the kitchen. <laughs> so the kitchen was on the first floor. You know, that place we're now gonna be worshiping in and singing in, and we were like, oh, that doesn't work. <laughs> um, and it, it actually didn't work in its uh, old iteration. It was far too small for butterfly, far too small for lots of things. And so we're relocating that to the cellar level and we are expanding it. We will have a commercial kitchen with lots of um, equipment and breathing room and, and it will be attached on that cellar level to a new space that used to be kind of our um, theater space. That will be our new social hall. So it'll be for our use, but also, and this is part of the strategy because Middle did this. Middle was a community um, uh, church and, and we will be able to invite people in to host all kinds of things there, whether it's their you know, 60th anniversary party or a, um, a, a wedding celebration or a baptism um, celebration. Meditation class. Meditation class, <laughs> absolutely. And so um, the bulk of what we're doing and the bulk of our investment is, I've described it as 7th Street did not burn up, but it was very much damaged by the firefighting we had um, a lot of mold, a lot of stuff. The, the social hall is, is just a mess. Um, 
And so we're rebuilding from the inside out and up. The third floor and the fourth floor and the fifth floor parlor were not damaged. They're going to be refurbished though so that they will be um, set for you know, the, the, the years to come. So that's a bit of a summary. We do um, eventually we'll have some pictures for you to see and visualize, but I hope I've, I've described it in a way that is sort of clear and hopefully gets you excited about it. Okay. I just am gonna embarrass Vicki for 10 seconds um, about what an incredible chair she is. Um, Devin, I can't make your thing do a thing. Um, I'm going to pop, we're going to pop through this uh, annual impact report. Devin and I uh, right now just give you some highlights. And then we're going to introduce Mark Reed, who, like Vicki, is a Hoover volunteer. And he does his volunteering on the rebuild side of the project, which is beyond our scope. You good? OK, got it, yeah. So, um, so if we can move forward to, um, there's a, a letter here for you to read when you see it online. Um, just to kind of ground you in what we're dealing with here. Um, in July 2023, we officially launched our uh, three-year campaign to rebuild our church, to reclaim and reframe Christian, and to repair a broken world with just love. That's the name of our campaign. We had, um, of course, begun receiving donations as soon as the fire happened. About $1.2 million came in before the campaign started. And Devin's going to talk more numbers with you. But I just want you to know that this three-pillar strategy, rebuild, reclaim, repair, is not only about the campaign, but that's actually about our, our budgeting. And it's also about our program plan and our staffing model. Those are the things that we're focusing on in these next three years. Um, uh, so let's talk about rebuild for a second. The goal here is reimagining and resurrecting our physical plant. Vicki did a beautiful summary of that, so I'm not going to spend a long time here. But I want to remind you that the consistory of the collegiate church, right? We're not just our own congregation. We belong to a four-church collegium. And they approved our rebuild, and they needed to. We couldn't do it without them. But what they said is they think economically the very best strategy would be for us to stage this rebuild, right? to build what we can with the money that we had from insurance, uh, or, and then to keep looking for what we're calling a mission-aligned partner to help us to um, build our sanctuary out, but also to leverage our space, not sell our space, but lease and leverage our space for, for generations to come so that we would have that land and have a partnership that, let's say, increased our impact, our footprint. Um, Vicki said housing. Could be supportive housing, mixed housing. Could be education adjacent. Could be adjacent. Could be healthcare. But that partnership, we hope, will deliver us a sanctuary and build something on top of us using our space and air rights, but also rent from us and help us to have an economic model that works. And as Vicki said, we're starting now with the 7th Street building. And that's what this page says. Um, we have been blessed to partner with Easton Temple. Last year, they charged us basically $5,000 for the whole year. That's not the economic model this year, however. <laughs> but, but it is still a, a, 
a collaboration that helps us to do some of the other things that we need to do. Um, this is some stats about our, our worship. I think you heard us say a couple times that about 700 people joined the church um, in the, since 2020. And truly, honestly, at first, all of those people were coming to worship. And as time has gone on and people got back into place, our worship numbers have dropped off some. But we're still worshiping with three to 600 between this space and online. That's in the uh, three different um, online, at our page, in the YouTube place, and at YouTube. That's really excellent numbers for church. Excellent numbers for church. People are not at church right now. But I want to use this moment to say it's excellent for church, but it's not excellent for us. <laughs> so we are uh, in a strategy now to really re-engage those digital members that joined. Um, we are creating our website in a new way. We're creating tools and tactics, strategies to pull people into our membership orbit. You can join the movement, and then you can join the church, and then you can get more deeply engaged in the church. A funnel that has more engagement is our strategy now, because we're in a movement, not just a, not just a moment, right? But a movement to reclaim and reframe, reframe Christian. Um, 152,000 video views across all of our platforms this last year. 2,500 views are from the Sunday worship. People don't just worship on Sunday. They consume our worship all week long. So that's on, uh, uh, we're finding out that our members are old. Er. <laughs> Season like good wine. Yeah. <laughs> But, but we have a strategy for reaching our young adults. Our young adults, 200 young adults, uh, joined the church in the last 10 years, and they are not young adults anymore. They are in their 40s. So how, right? so how do we re-engage a new crop of young adults as a strategy we're working on? Let's go to the next one. Thank you. Um, this, um, this idea of online community, this testimony is from a member who um, named Lisa. She's a pastor in Georgia. Uh, she runs a feeding program, found us online during COVID, is so incredibly active, it just blows our mind away um, from way down there. But this idea of online community, Kathleen um, is an example of people who find us through either Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or my speaking gigs. Uh, we still have members joining from a Richard Rohr thing three years ago. So I wanted to put those two things together for you. That my board said public theology is a part of my job description. Therefore, we, I speak, I write. Uh, we, the whole team, puts information in the world. People find it. They find us. And that is an incredible piece of the work that we'll be able to do in the new building, even though it's small, because we're going to, as Vicki said, have a good AV hookup so we can broadcast around the nation and around the globe and pull people in. Um, this reclaim, <laughs> I think I preached that this morning. <laughs> it is devastating, personally, and to our staff, to our board, how Christian has become this bigoted um, philosophy. And we are just going to take it back. Uh, when Tom Smucker was the chair, decades, almost a decade ago, he said the middle has a certain kind of charisma 
that we're charismatic in a certain kind of way. Our music, our justice, our extroverted, loud sermons, um, a, certain, <laughs> a certain kind of charisma that we believe God has called us to, to really reclaim what it means to be Christian. And one of our really important strategies is our young people, I mean our babies. So we had our second annual Freedom School this summer where we had like a giant influx of kids. I think we ended up with 40 or so kids versus last year's eight. And so our children are getting it, our parents are getting it. And we're thinking if we can raise the imagination for a healed world in these young people, then we're going to be on the right path. Um, so that's what that said. I said that again. That was amazing. Amanda and Elise did such a beautiful job of pulling in community members uh, to work on that, artists from our community, but also partnering with another church. So we're, we're trying to get our, make our web a little wider. And the, the, uh, we build our space, reclaim Christian, repair a broken world. I am really proud of this work because it is super lay-led, um, most of it. Um, I'm going to start at the bottom to say our voters reform group, um, voter reform gladiators, Claudia renamed them. How, how long, Claudia? Two years, not three? Four years. Four years of working together in the digital spaces, right? Some 75, 80 folks on the list, postcards after postcards, issue-driven, talking to each other, teaching each other, sending the justice work into the neighborhoods where they can make a difference in the name of God, in the name of love. I'm so proud of that work. Um, Middle's team has been doing rapid response in migrant organizing. A lot of us are at Judson Memorial Church on Tuesdays. Food, uh, strollers, diapers, all the kinds of things that immigrants need. I'm really proud of that work. I'm proud of the fact that the Middle Project Board um, became the Freedom Rising Board. And in the name change and in the vision focus, funders are finding us for partnership uh, in brand new ways. We got a $750,000 grant from Wellspring because they understood more clearly what our mission was. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, our reparations task force also lay led, uh, um, making strategies, um, studying, learning, creating an event, an ethical spectacle. Uh, October 15th uh, at, at the park across the street where a slaveholder named Stuyvesant, hello, is honored. So you want to pay attention to that and come join us for that activity. I'm really proud of that. And we've been partnering with people like Edgar Villanueva in the Decolonizing Wealth Project, working together on reparations for black and indigenous people. And that Center for Reparations and Racial Healing is a part of our strategy. So we are doing our due. Am I talking super fast or just fast enough? OK, good. OK, you good with me? OK. Um, Jewish people, queer people, non-binary people um, are finding their way to us and saying that we are saving their life. And we feel really proud of that. Um, OK, this is where Devin comes and gets to look up at the ceiling as opposed to you. <laughs> OK. Hi, Devin. For those who don't know, I'm the director of development for Middle Rising. I feel like most of you know that. But new faces, that's who I am. Um, so last year, as we were putting this report together, 
it was really important for us to think about the ways that this first year of a campaign in our wilderness space to really help everyone see the impact that the team and all of you are still having in the world as this movement. And I think, you know, Jackie, you saying earlier that it's all of us, right? Like we went through such trauma this last four years, but yet let's look at what this last year of this first campaign did. Um, the middle care team individually touched 300 members of this community through care this last year through reaching out to our care line or community events, prayer requests, one-on-ones for needs that they had. Additionally, over 250 grief cards were sent out to people in the community who were going through a loss. Then in the community, we hosted the Freedom Rising Conference, which was formerly the Revolutionary Love Conference. Um, it was fully in person for the first time since COVID hit, and we had over 380 people attend over three days at our partner West End Collegiate Church. And then last year, the church and our clergy appeared in print media in the New York Times, Associated Press, The Atlantic, Religion News Service, Slate, Time Magazine, and then we're on NPR, WNYC, CBS News, and MSNBC, which is incredible for us. That's part of this work of getting us out in the world. Over 120 volunteers served regularly. That's all of you, 120 of you. Let's do some statistics on that though. So 120 of you um, participated in community group leadership, ushering, deacons and elder participation, um, participated in worship, were at the conference, helped with the book fair, did part of the children and youth programming, helped produce Juneteenth, and were part of homecoming this last year. So one of the big highlights as part of this um, reclaim and repair is, again, what Jackie was talking about, our youth. So the Children's Multicultural Book Fair last year was a huge opportunity for us. We expanded it, used a new, um, or partnered with a new uh, bookstore here in the Lower East Side, and it was beautiful. There's a photo there of Bernard Davis who led, um, and we had over 40 participants in that space. Um, over 70 community members passed through that fair, which was a 30% increase since 2021, when COVID numbers were still high. And then part of the um, process is also the financials. So hugely important in our work now, transitioning into what Middle Rising is going to be, is who we're partnering with to help grow and sustain this movement. And so a lot of my days are focused on this. Um, last year, as part of this three-year campaign, we launched a large institutional grant outreach effort, which is a first for Middle. So we have a goal of 2200000 as part of this campaign. That was a conservative number because we hadn't done grant outreach before in such a robust way. These are the people that I'm excited to say um, invested in Middle last year, which comes to $2,150,000. So we kind of nailed that goal that first year. Um, so again, that was a conservative uh, effort because we didn't know what that was going to look like. And turns out people are really interested in what we're doing. So um, the Fetzer Institute gave us $50,000 last year for the Freedom Rising Conference. Focus for Health increased their gift um, to 50000 as part of our Freedom Rising work. The Lilly Endowment, we applied for a Christian parenting initiative, which Lily, so um, we're a little bit over here on, on their stuff, um, but we were awarded a five-year grant for $1.25 million for this program. 
So that is, that is a program called Just Love Families that we are creating this year. Um, the grant money has arrived, and so we are now endeavoring to get that launched in January-ish as part of a five-year um, program for the children and youth about um, teaching just love toward families and kids. Um, the Ford Foundation also um, took a meeting with us, and it was a lot of fun. And um, <laughs> so we've danced with them a bit, and they came through with a $50,000 operating grant unrestricted for us at the end of the summer. Um, and then as Jackie was talking about, Wellspring Philanthropic Fund um, has partnered with Freedom Rising for education and organizing programs in a three-year grant for 750000 So that's the Freedom Rising Conference, the organizing for, for um, children teaching and the camp and every, um, everything that touches our education and organizing programs. And then finally here, Trinity Church Wall Street. Um, last year through a, a you know, set of circumstances, we were blissfully invited into this cohort with Trinity Church and through their Mission Real Estate Development Division. So they're called MRED. And last year, um, Vicki, Jackie, and I attended their cohort. And essentially, Trinity wants to walk with us through this process these next few years to help us really think through our strategy on how we're looking at revenue generating partnerships for the Mission Aligned partner on our site, what parts of our space can be used for revenue generation as part of a, a long-term plan, how we lease our land if that becomes the, the partnership idea, things like that. So. Um, with this, we'll at some point likely be financial commitment, um, and so we're in conversations with that yet. Last year, it didn't turn into that just yet, but we are close to moving towards some, some work that may happen in this next year. So that was a very exciting part to um, add to the strategy this year that they're gonna walk with us. So that is a snapshot of financial impact this last year um, as the first year of the campaign. Next page goes into more of our financials. So. Almost every one of you was with us at a meeting last year about the campaign and, and pledging to this campaign. So here gives you a quick snapshot of what the year in review looks like. Our revenue for the year came in at $4.2 million. 2.2 of that you'll see are pledges to the campaign, aside from what we did receive toward pledges. Donations, the first line there, 1.2 million came in last year um, received. So props to everybody for doing that. The pledge is also huge, huge high five to everybody. Um, that's around 3.4 million that came in pledged toward the campaign last year of our $15 million goal. Specifically for the contributions, I'm not remembering exactness, but um, the, the foundations go on top of that. So 3.2 came in for contributions specifically from individuals last year. Foundations and grants that received was 490,000. We do get a 5% um, from Collegiate Church for administrative elements, and then our events and programs earned $167,000 last year. And then the other side, you'll see expenses as that breaks down. And again, we're in a whole new world. You know, like what a budget looked like three years ago when we were in a building compared to three years of COVID wildness to now this year, and then what it's gonna look like now in three years as we go into an, our building again. So. A lot of this has been chaotic, and, and we're, we're all trying to figure it out the best we can with the moving targets that Vicki was talking about in terms of timeline. So that's a snapshot of this last uh, fiscal year, which for all of you is a July 1 through June 30. Yes, Ivan? Uh, can you talk about what happens with the pledges that are 
Um, I would probably turn to Danita to talk about that, but um, no. So the pledges received are, um, we record it as pledged in the fiscal year that they come, and then they're receivable over the three years as part of the three-year campaign. So everybody's pledge was made in a three-year commitment. Some folks were very excited and wanted to give it all right away, and others have based it over the three years. So that, that remaining amount is from this last fiscal year what was pledged. Yeah, next page. Now back to Jackie for where we're headed. Where we're headed. I'm gonna give this mic to Mark at some point. Oh. We're headed to, oh, ah, no one's saying. We are, we are um, headed to uh, finishing this campaign strong. That's what's gonna happen. Uh, we finished phase one, that's uh, not true. We're in phase one, which is June 2022 through July 2025. That's that three year block of time that we committed to, Ivan, pledges for that. Um, people in our community and people like Abby Disney, who just loves us, have, have pledged into this campaign right now. The focus of this phase is to do that repair, rebuild, reclaim, right? Um, that's, that's important. And to build the program and temporary worship site. Uh, Mark's gonna say better things about time than I'm gonna say, but I'm praying and offering Christian voodoo to all the gods in the world that we will get into the building by next September. That's I'm fingers across, legs across, praise are going up and beads are moving. So I hope you'll join me in that to influence the gods for we have to get back in there next fall. Mark will say more. To building the multimedia center that Vicki talked about, the media that we need to put on all five floors of the building and the two level sanctuary, we're trying to build in such a way that as we let's say add to the sanctuary, right? Our dream would be we expand the sanctuary that would go from the social hall space all the way into the old sanctuary footprint and maybe sit 650. Do we need 650 seats for church? We do. Other people don't. We do. And, but also community center for concerts and conferences and town halls. So we're setting up the media so that it can be what it is now and then move into the new building, right? Expand it, right? Um, and then funding our programming for three years. So we're not just raising money for the building, we're raising money for staff salaries and benefits and program costs because it's a comprehensive campaign. Y'all gave us feedback that you didn't understand two campaigns. So there's one, okay? <laughs> That's what we did. And finally, sustainable funding sources. So building these relationships with Wall Street, Trinity, with with Kellogg, with other foundations, so we can keep it moving. Like the crisis, the fire crisis, made us change how we do work. The collegiate crisis, the nomad fin financial crisis, the collegiate church bumped into, made us reframe how we do work. And I think it's exactly what God wanted for us to do. Yes, sir. I think you should talk to me about that afterwards because we have reached out to some, but everybody in the room knows people we haven't reached out to. So can you talk to me and talk to Devin and anybody, anybody who has an idea, those ideas, we should get them also middle info. You could do to middle info at middlechurch.org. Nope, rising, is that the email? 
rising at middlechurch.org is where you should send your ideas and have you, okay? Thank you, love, that was a great question. Next page, babe. Um, phase two is the rebuilding of the whole site, right? This facade is gonna come down soon, we think, but that opens this site up, the footprint of the sanctuary to be built by somebody that's not us is our idea, that we leverage our air rights and that space, and some developer comes along and says, I'm gonna build a healthcare facility. Um, and in exchange, and, and part of the transaction is you get a white box, I'll call it a black box just for fun, you get a box that's the sanctuary that's built out for you because that's a part of the transaction, right? We're having a very good conversation right now with someone who's a part of our community who's very excited about the possibility of being that partner. And I can't say who it is, but again, Christian Voodoo and prayers. Okay, um, then we lease space to that partner. We're not gonna sell our space, we're gonna lease our space and have revenue for decades, centuries to come, we hope. Um, again, funding programming for three years. So now to 25 is a chunk of time for raising three years of programming, 25 to 28, when the collegiate church will be 400 years old is another chunk of time for that kind of program money. And then launching a legacy giving program. Middle Church is in my will. John's in my will too, but Middle Church is in my will and we want to make sure that you have an opportunity to create legacy giving programs for Middle Church. I think, one more, okay. And here, okay, here uh, are two bar graphs to give you a sense of where we are right now. This 26,329, I'm pretty sure if you add these numbers up, you're gonna be like, that doesn't exactly add up. But that's because that's just how it is right now. <laughs> As we uh, note the one, two, three, the 1.2 million was given in the first, um, first year after the fire. The 21 million is the insurance money that we got from the devastating fire. The 5,906, is the current pledging giving. The second bar graph is a more updated one, again with the first year's giving, the insurance up top, 2.75. We were given an additional $2.75 million in a kind of insurance, um, I'm gonna say payoff, like a settlement, right? An insurance payoff. And then this 14,971 is our campaign uh, goal, okay? So we got $21 million in insurance, and we think we need 2840 actually, to do the work. Do you with me? Yeah. So to, to do both parts of the project, Jake, great question. So the, the full get us back in the whole site is about a $40 million project, okay? Questions about that? 40 is not 21. <laughs> okay. All right, so we are feeling like we're gonna get that. Somebody's gonna buy that site, buy that, rent that site and give us a, a sanctuary. That's what we think. One more page, I think. Um, this is what Vicki said, would, you'll get some pictures. We're, we're going to make a picture book for you, but this is a rendering from our architect of the new, the new temporary gathering space where our offices became balconies and on the floor is the gospel choir singing <laughs> and you standing on your feet clapping. 
and a screen on the back wall so that no matter where you sit, you can see, and the little circle nodding to our dove, but with our stained glass colors a rendering for you. The balcony is glass, so you can have good sight lines. And the leadership of the campaign, Vicki, Mark, Jackie, Devin. I got to say, Devin Mosley and Danita Branham have kicked behind on this fundraising moment. Mark Reed, come speak to us. Um, Mark Reed, which is his mic? Here, take this one. Yeah, Mark, uh, Mark's children grew up in Middle Church. Yes. And so, <laughs> goodbye, I'm going to sit down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I overpowered Jackie on the stage. Uh, uh, no, I, uh, uh, my family's uh, been a member of Middle Church since 2008. I'm a uh, balcony dweller, so you probably don't see me much. Uh, my wife grew up in the Black Pentecostal Church in Oakland, and so, you know, she gets a little tingle when she steps into church, and so uh, she's careful about that. But... Um, <laughs> For the last 18 years, I've been an affordable housing developer in New York City, building uh, affordable housing in Manhattan, the Bronx, and Brooklyn. And in that model, there's a uh, you know there's a a standard way of putting together a team to do a project, often in a joint venture with a community-based organization. And it's sort of like putting together a, a musical combo. You know, sometimes you're featuring the piano, sometimes you're featuring a vocalist. Uh, in our case, for Middle, our organization is so strong and so compelling because of you, because of who the membership is and because of the presence of our community within New York City and because of the message that resonates with so many people beyond you know, the, the people who are members of the church. We're in a very strong position. We own our land. We have cash. And we're in the East Village, which is a very desirable location. So we have many things going for us, which is why you should feel confident that we will attract a mission-aligned partner to build something in the East Village on 2nd Avenue that is of value to the community and, and that is compelling to other funders, government funders as well as private funders. But we need to keep demonstrating our capacity and our energy, and we need to keep getting that message out. I have no doubt that we will, but I'm saying to you guys today that what you do and what we do as middle is going to be what enables us to rebuild that sanctuary on 2nd Avenue. We're already, we'll be on, on 57th Street, uh, we're getting ready to file for a building permit. Uh, so that is coming. That's, uh, that's an inevitability, and, and I, I really hope that a year from now we'll be standing in that building or we'll be close, and we'll be asking people to do things like, you know, uh, peel off that blue masking tape that painters leave up and, uh, you know, sweep out dust. But uh, uh, getting the sanctuary built is go going to be a multi-year process, and uh, we don't have all of the pieces of our musical combo yet, but we're putting them together. For our community to be able to support the organization with its voice and also with its pocketbook is vital. And so even though 
our community is incredibly diverse in terms of income and wealth and experience and knowledge and contacts. Whatever you can do to demonstrate your participation just enhances our message across the city and makes our project more compelling. So to give whatever you can and to show that all of our members are mobilized behind this effort, you should go to middlechurch.org slash rising and make whatever kind of donation or pledge you can. And then Jackie and Devin and the rest of the team will go out and start showing people what we're, what we're capable of. So thank you for that, and we're around for questions. Stay up with us. Come to me, Devin, Danita. Maybe, do you, do you, who, who do you have questions for? We're here, and we've got mics for you. So let's use the mic so, no you do maybe, because they can't hear you on. Okay, but they can't hear you online, so please wait. Thank you, honey. Bye, Jules, thanks. Sorry. Um, um, I'm Reverend Micaela Cordova-El. I do traditional health and wellness. I'm a shamana in the traditional Peruvian path. I've been working for 24 years to connect unconditional love to people who have forgotten. Um, I was invited by Leslie, who's watching virtually. Love you, Leslie. Um, and brought a new tenor to the choir. I'm already contributing the things that I have to contribute. I do not have cash. I do have a lot of Quan, though. So my question is to, you know, Jerry Maguire, Quan. Um, what, what can I contribute in terms of, or how do you need assistance in terms of, I, I, like, I like big money, so I usually harvest big money. And I've done it professionally and personally for a long time. Yeah. But you're talking about partnering with a building or, or as you're talking about creating alternative forms of housing. I live in, I'm currently living in a housing situation that is, it is the, it is the matrix. It's the worst situation that I've ever lived in. I've lived all over the world. And I'm aware of the fact that I was placed there to support those who can't support themselves. Right. Because I have the education and the background to mm -hmm. transform it by creating something completely new and different. Yeah. So my question in giving you that understanding is how can I bring my knowledge to the table of supporting the building and the fundraising around creating a partnership from a housing and or infrastructure standpoint yep. where you are because that's where it sounds like you're right there on the bubble of moving from idea zone into action zone and i love action so we do too love yeah but thank you so much for that and i'm yeah. so glad you're here today i would say right now the very best thing to do is to either call devin or me right now and we'll make sure devin will make sure you have both of our numbers um we are looking for that Mission Align partner. When Mark said, that was such a great metaphor, Mark. I was very impressed with that. I'm stealing that next week. Um, we talk about our musical combo and who does what. Like that, that find a partner piece, that Mark is building a building, I'm looking for a partner. So I think to talk to me and Devin about that, if you've got any leads, anybody, any leads, we'll take the leads. And then we'll run back through Mark who knows a bunch of people. But let's just, just talk to us about it. And then I would say to everybody, nobody has enough money. Like, I don't have enough money. I don't. But everybody has some money. 
So, and I think what Mark was saying earlier that I think is just really true, when I was able to say to Ford that my entire board is giving, that mattered. They don't care who gave a dollar or who gave $100,000, but the whole board is giving. To be able to say that our congregation, 85% of the congregation is giving, 95% of the congregation is giving, that's your dollar, that's your $5. But everybody who's in the church, who thinks of themselves as part of the church, you make a pledge to this, make a, put money in the plate, we get to say 95% of us are giving, and that matters. It doesn't matter what you give. It matters that you give. So I want to just make sure I say that out loud, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to get the mic. Thank you, honey. That was a great question. Just a real quick follow-up. Is it, what are your preferences around uh, recurring gifts versus single gifts when we're pitching this to funding partners? Thank you. Um, thank you for that. Recurring gifts are the best way for us to project what our revenue looks like um, in the system. One-time gifts are awesome. And I think the question on how we're projecting that to our, our potential funding partners, it's a, it's a matrix of everything, um, but recurring gifts are the best way for middle to project our revenue. That lets us make a budget that we can count on, right? And Dini and I just had a three-hour budget meeting Friday. So we know we can expect this revenue helps us to budget. What else? Jake. And there's some questions coming in online. We'll take that right after Jay. So um, thank you very much for all this. And I, I know I met with some of you last fall. And at that point, I think the plan was to just go for it, that there was a sense that there might be a partner who could come in and land heavy and land fast. Right. And obviously, that turned out not to be the case. Right. I, I, and so I'm, we'll just say I'm very glad that you have now figured out a way to create a place for us to go back home. Having a physical home is so important. And I think we'll address some of the other issues in terms of, quite frankly, age who comes yes. to church and right. participate. We had a young man who was sitting between us who was a sophomore at NYU who was looking for a church yeah. and uh, really getting I used to be a young member of the church. I'm no longer a young member of the church. And so um, getting us into some kind of home is so important. And so thank you for sharing that plan with thank us you, all. Jake. Thank you for being excited, Jake. Anybody else, a comment or a question? Carol, right here and then right here. Um, wait, do you want to do the online one? It got answered. OK, great. Hi, Carol. We missed you. It's good to see yeah, you. Yeah, two short answer questions. Um, what is happening with the elevator? in the office space, and what is happening with the property, the empty property next to you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the elevator, and I'll ask Mark to talk about the other property. Um, the elevator's still there. Um, we, it, we don't know if it works, <laughs> because we don't have electric. So let me say, if any of you have any Con Ed contacts, OK, right, right after church, they, there is a whole hot mess of trying to get into the building with electric because they have to build the ground and blah, 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 blah. So we don't know if it works, Carol, but it's there. And it looks like it could work. But it, it has been inspected. Yep. And it looks good. The signs are good. The signs are good. <laughs> we don't know for sure. OK. The second question about the neighboring property, dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the neighboring property at the corner of 7th Street and 2nd Avenue is owned by a, a private individual who's owned it for 
generations, I think. Um, in that building were some rent-controlled apartments, which were obviously destroyed, and there's a dispute now between those tenants who had lived in those apartments for decades and the owner. Um, the owner is a little bit stuck, and we've, we've talked with her, we've met with her, our lawyers have met each other, we've discussed many different possibilities, uh, but it is, you know, it's a very sensitive situation. So we haven't, we're just happy that what we got from her was a thumbs up on our plan to demolish the facade of our, our own church, because we needed her permission to set up safety uh, uh, protections for the workers who will do, be doing the work on our site, and that took months of negotiations. So I hope personally that we'll be able to find a way to work together and uh, create a larger structure because that would just be more efficient, um, but it's, it's a very sensitive relationship. I hope that God whispers into Ms. Popcorn's ear and says, oh, lovely Miss Popcorn, Middle Collegiate Church has been so inconvenienced by you. Wouldn't you like to donate that ch property? That's, that's, that's my hope. That's what I'm putting in the world. <laughs> Thank you. Think you want to add anything? Okay. Um, right here and then to Nab. Hi. Hi. Uh, just a quick question. Is there a difference between like giving to the general fund of the church and giving to Middle Rising? I guess it's not clear to me how millerizing that campaign relates to just the general expenses of the church. Thank you for that. Um, during this three-year millerizing campaign, it's all one fund. Okay. So within that, we're raising four operations for the three years, as well as the building costs as part of that for these three years. So to supplement the, the gap between insurance and what we'll have, and then minus the three years of operations. So the best way is you, you donate and then it all goes into one fund and it's paid out as necessary. My sense is that that's gonna happen the next chunk too. Yeah. That once we start having a one fund, we'll probably have a one fund. Yeah. Thank you, Devin. Thank you, Claudia. Oh. You're still here? I'll come back, okay, good. Um, anything else? Natalie. I was just wondering if um, one of you could talk about the, uh, the grant from uh, Lilly about the Christian Parenting Initiative and what that's gonna look like coming up in 2024. In 2024, or this next year, you mean? Well, you said it starts in January. Yep, so the, the initiative that we applied to was called the Christian Parenting Initiative, and we built a beautiful 20-page grant um, application that outlines this program called Just Love Families that Jackie and um, Dr. Shannon Daly-Harris co-created um, to build into a multi-year program, so. Yeah, I'll say a little more about that. It was amazing. First of all, Lily. We are not, Lily's in the center and we're off the page left. But they, but I think they created this grant because of what's going on in, with Christian fascism. I really do. I think they wanted to create uh, some impetus for raising up young leaders who had a progressive faith, or at least a loving faith. So we applied. We got it. We called it the Just Love Family Program because Shannon and I wrote a book, a Bible called the Just Love Children Bible. That's coming out in 2025. And so we built this whole program around. Isn't that exciting? This whole program around kiddos and their parents and their caregivers with games, gamify it and 
you know, technology and um, opportunities for table sit and talk so that, so that the little ones grow up to be in around fifth grade by the time we're finished. Um, Shannon therefore comes on team for five years. We have money in the grant for somebody like Elise, somebody in the grant for somebody like Amanda uh, to kind of keep pushing these programs forward. So the Just Love Children and Family program will dovetail along with our Freedom School in the summer, for example, our Just Arts camp that we're starting for older kids online. We got a lot of energy uh, coming around children and families. And what it does is it actually did our strategic plan for us. So that's pretty hot. <laughs> like that, well, that's your plan, So because you got paid to do it. So yeah. Good, Natalie? Yeah. Oh, wait. Space for kiddos in the new building. Come through, somebody. Yeah. Yeah, Ivan. Wait, but you got to make it in the mic, though. Make it in the mic. Thank you. Uh, if I could just pull the veil back a little bit for the rest of the congregation and just Stand say. Stand up, baby, if you can do that so people can hear you. Say a huge thank you to our leadership team. Uh, I'm one consistory, so I am a leader. But when I look at Jackie and Devin and Vicky and Danita and the rest of our consistory, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And Jackie and the team are up here smiling, and we've got a great plan. It could have been easy to have not gotten to where we are. It could have been easy to have said, you know what? Ah, being back in the East Village on our site is too insurmountable. It could have been easy to not have like this radical imagination for you know, a plan through 2028 and all the things that we've creatively come up with. But look at God and look at our leaders. And I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, just the biggest thank you in the world. Um, you all have just been, it's inspirational, even as a member of the leadership team to see how you all, and Mark as well, sorry, uh, just to see how you all have had to stick with it to make sure that we have a home and that we have a sustainable home. So just wanted to say thank, thank you. Thank you, Ivan, that's so good. We're going to wrap up in a moment. I want to see if Vicki has a last word to share. Mark, anything, Devin? Anything? Anybody else online? I have, I have last words to share, to brag. Don't go. It is really true. Just don't be embarrassed. <laughs> it is really true. Danita, come on up here. It is really true. All of my board works hard. My board is badass. 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 All of my board, you know, Natalie and Ivan and Claudia. I mean, we used to be the hippies in the collegiate church. Didn't nobody know nothing. We'd be like, okay, whatever, you know. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> sure, but now I've got bankers and lawyers and financiers and um, accountant and broad storytellers. Like my board is incredible. And still, these people work a full-time job right here. Danita Branham is 80 years young. I forgot to say Jerry. Jerry's up there on my board. Jerry, my board is Chris is mint. Beth, my board is mint. My board is mint. Nobody more dedicated, uh, diverse around age, diverse around ethnicity, diverse around perspective. We are not rubber stampers. They are incredible. Push, shove, make it happen. If you ever want to come on the board, talk to Ivan. I'm kidding. But if you ever want to go on the board, talk to us. 
They're amazing. And this team right here, Mark is not on the board. Mark, Mark, just like, <laughs> Mark just was like, I can help, and jumped in with eight feet, with everything, passion, compassion, intellect, and also a pretty significant financial donation. So Mark, I bow to you in front of everyone for how smart you are. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> Danita is 80 years old. And she's so cute, you don't know it. But she's 80 years old. And she works full time on our accounting processes, on developing the budget. And she's the chair of the whole collegiate everything. We're so lucky. Danita hired me. I'm so grateful to you, big sister amazing Danita. You're amazing. And Vicky, poor Vicky, Vicky come to church. I'm like, hi, I need somebody just like you on the board. Would you come on the board and bring your storytelling? Would you bring your, your journalistic sensibilities, right? That's, that's who Vicky is. And we do stories. Does she have any idea that we'd ask her to be the chair? Nope. <laughs> I have had brilliant chairs. And for such a time as this, the Bible says, Vicky Burns is unique, kind, firm, brilliant, does not forget what's happening, draws the threads together, keeps people accountable with love. I don't think we could be doing this without you. And I know that embarrasses you, but that's too bad. Yes. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you. And Devin, my staff is amazing. Facts. But Devin mostly is responsible that we are where we are financially. I just have to say, he is responsible. So proud of him. So that's enough. They're all going to kill me now. But anyway, I'm trying to celebrate people while they're alive because they're amazing. Um, so thank you, Middle Family, for everything you do to make us who we are. We love you very much. Go with God and have a nice lunch, okay? Bye! <laughs> Thanks for listening, friends. To learn more about Middle Church, visit middlechurch.org. You can help grow this movement of love and justice by rating us on Apple or Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend or two. Send us an email at info at middlechurch.org if you have any questions or comments. We hope you'll come back next week. Bye for now. <laughs>